Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Gross. It gives me great pleasure to welcome back to Viewpoints, a regular guest on Viewpoints, Dr. David Roy, who's an academic and author at the University of Newcastle, New South Wales. Welcome again to Viewpoints, David. Hello, Henry. As always, a great pleasure to be here and to talk with you. It is a pleasure, and our our general theme today, uh, we've agreed, is coffee and COVID. Uh, now, where do, how do we have the coffee uh, <laughs> remotely, David? Firstly, well, it's in my hand, and it is dark with no milk, and it is keeping me awake in this early morning. So it'll be the first of about eight coffees today. Yes, and and I've actually got my cup here, and it's empty. I've finished my coffee, but uh, anyway, so we've had the coffee. Coffee and COVID, it's been an amazing year, David, and we've spoken about the impact of COVID, uh, um, both uh, on education and more generally. Uh, Where would you like to start the conversation? Well, I think it's it's been an amazing year, uh, both positively and negatively. It's it's been a very stressful year for everyone involved, Um, I have the joy of living in New South Wales where we don't have lockdowns and apparently the people in my area where I live don't understand the usage of masks. But um, I really feel for all my friends and and, and then everyone in Victoria who are having to go through, um, again, a second lockdown and just the the stress that can be on people. But at the same time, um, as you know, I come from an arts background and one of the things we find within the arts is it's the the limitations that we have that creates creativity because you have to find new solutions. And I've been blown away by the way that educators, teachers, and and, and even, dare I say, some of the senior executives uh, in in the system, as well as the wider community, have been so creative in finding solutions to allow us to move forward in what I think is going to be the new norm for a a good number of years until we really have a a kind of a sound vaccine for this this, um, terrible event, which we knew was going to happen at some point anyway. Yeah, look, you're you're so right, David. I mean, uh, you can look at it um, glass half full, glass half empty, whichever way you like on any issue. But at the end of the day, the most heartening thing is that I think... uh, uh, despite the shock and, and the stress it causes, we all want to survive and try and thrive. So at the end of the day, uh, and certainly in our field, education, you do your best and, and, and you find ways to make it uh, make it work as well as you can. I'm, I'm interested in, you said there is a difference between the extent of the pandemic and the impact between New South Wales and Victoria. Um, mm-hmm. what, what has been the impact up there in terms of restrictions compared to down here? Well, there was the restrictions that first came in when the cases were soaring because of the mismanagement by state or federal or both or all of within cruise ships and some of the quarantine elements. Not dissimilar to what happened within Victoria. Uh, But there's become a kind of a new normal where people do socially distance. Uh, People don't shake hands. Um, Maybe for many that would be an advantage in my company. The less they need to touch me, the better. Um, But but there's little simple things, like even within shopping, making sure that you know when you touch it, you take it, rather than going through various items within the supermarket. And w- one of the things that we do in our household is when we bring um, a grocery shopping in, we then clean all the items before we put them away because you don't want things to be transferred. So I guess hygiene has improved 
with a lot of people. Um, it certainly has brought out some of the individuals who don't focus on science or facts and live off conspiracy theories. Um, and that's both a concern, but also it's been maybe quite good for the wider community to see that some of the viewpoints out there are, are just slightly extreme and it, it tends to be linked to anti-vaccinators, etc. So I guess there's been a clarity and it, it's shown who, which individuals actually have leadership uh, and which individuals uh, just react rather than enact. And that it works from all levels of our society, from the very top to the person around the corner from you or the, the colleagues that you work with. So for me, it's, it's been a real eye-opener for individuals that I maybe have a bit more trust in and for some that I have less. Um, so I will always look for the positive within it. But we should be a unit together as Australia. And the one thing that's really saddening me just now is this attacks on people in leadership who are trying to do the right thing. And we see this in other countries. Rather than let's support each other, because I always feel that collegiality and, and working together gets much better results than, than petty sniping from the side. Mm, look, I couldn't agree with you more. And um, down here in Victoria, clearly with the the bigger impact and the sterner restrictions, everything you have said has probably had uh, a sharper edge to it. Mm -hmm. I think one of the, one of the interesting things here is yes, w we do have a smaller percentage of people who uh, are not coping well with it and um, mm -hmm. feel they're liberties have been unfairly infringed upon the, the majority support the gov the state government's action there is a bit of a feeling down here that we're now uh, and it's an interesting feeling we talk to each other that we're the leper state so to speak and and it has a psychological impact on you feeling that yeah. the rest of australia really doesn't want victoria at the moment yeah i know i think i think that's just really really sad because in some ways at the start of COVID it was New South Wales that was being given that kind of brush stroke and I just I just think people need to just remember that we're all humans and I guess that's the big thing about the COVID impact is we've always talked about AI replacing people um, and particularly in education they've been talking about the role of artificial intelligence and technology and, and maybe teachers are needing less and I think this whole situation has shown us that it's actually the human person, the, the, the human being that is making the difference that it is the, the actual teacher who is leading both the remote learning and also the return to classroom uh, under difficult uh, conditions when that is happening in some states and will hopefully be happening in uh, term four for the majority of Victorian students. So it's actually reinforced the need for teachers who are empathetic, knowledgeable and adaptable and, and within whatever moment that happens, that an algorithm will not educate our children. No, no, you're, you're, you're certainly right on that. And um, <clears throat> one of the things uh, about the remote learning experience, it's certainly, it certainly got us moving in the, in the field of... Uh, looking at diverse ways of um, presenting education to children. Mm -hmm. um, there's no doubt about that. But from a primary school angle, that is the 5 to 12-year-old children, beneath that, um, if you speak to people, frankly, parents, teachers and children, uh, whilst we're doing our best and soldiering on, not any of those 
cohorts are particularly excited about what's going on. Well, <laughs> it's better than nothing, but that's about it. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it was maybe exciting for some kids within the first two weeks. Mm. They felt, oh, extended holidays, and they've started to realise that maybe schools are important. And although we've seen the, uh, an ebb and flow within the media and the way that they talk about teaching and respect, and then it, it's diminishing again, there's an ongoing building feeling that we need teachers and there's going to we mm. need schools, we need primary principals like yourself um, and the respect should be higher. I do get concerned about the reports that the individuals with the expertise, the teachers, feel that children are slowly following, falling behind where they would have been within face-to-face. Um, that's to be expected and I would love to see the actual education systems and the leadership politically to say, well, what do we need to do to change that? I think one of the major things we need to do is we need to invest more within resources for the families at home. I think it really demonstrates the need for greater investment in that um, first five years and within early childhood and making that more uh, available to families so they actually enter into the school system better prepared to become lifelong learners. And there just needs to be a greater investment and recognition of not just on the academic element of schools, but on the the wider well-being that schools give to kids and to, to make them more independent. So, yeah, we should be looking at what other countries are doing and where is it working, what can we take, what can we use. Um, but I think it's going to be a challenge for the next five years to make sure that kids get up to speed. But I truly believe that kids can because uh, I always have high expectations for children as well as for teachers. Um, and I think with the plasticity of the brain and the way that we can extend knowledge with the right investment and support within staffing and, and maybe increasing staffing to give even additional support in schools with major financial investment, we could actually really thrive within the, the, the further outcome that comes from this crisis. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. We need to take a short break, David. Can you hold the line? Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossick. We're in a discussion with Dr. David Roy, academic and author at the University of Newcastle, New South Wales. Welcome back, David. Hi, great to still be here. How's the coffee going? I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting for my next cup. We'll have to wait till the end of the interview for me. How's yours going? It's uh, half drunk, uh, getting a bit colder, but still got the caffeine, and so I will still enjoy it. It's a funny thing to be half drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm one of these funny individuals that prefers to be the designated driver so I can look at everyone else and laugh at them after the event. And in these current situations, it's maybe a good thing to do. It is. <laughs> I'm also the designated driver in our family too, uh, David. So what, what you do what you do note as the designated driver is that you remember much more about what happened than what people said. So that may or may not be a privilege depending on what you saw <laughs> and heard. <laughs> I just like the fact that I break the stereotype of my accent by not being a drinker. <laughs> yes, you certainly, you certainly do that, David. Now, just before the end of the first part of our interview, we're talking about uh, primary school and, I guess, secondary school education. 
The tertiary sector has been massively, massively yep. affected by coronavirus and a huge yep. part of um, our tertiary sector relies on uh, foreign students. Um, what's the new normal going to look like in your sector of education, do you see? I think it's going to be very different. And I think it actually reflects something that might be happening in the wider Australian society in that we're going to have to refocus again on maybe being more of a closed nation in, in, in part such as with work and with manufacturing that the tertiary sector is going to have to really say, are we meeting the needs of our local students from Australia because the travel restrictions are going to mean we're going to have less international students coming in. And also we have to remember less international academics. And that input has always been very important because knowledge is one of the few things that crosses boundaries uh, and is great to share and collaborate across nations. Um, and so I, I worry about the, the lack of engagement to the same degree with our students internationally as well as with academic colleagues. Though Zoom is kind of correcting that. I, I took part in a, a conference in Victoria, actually, at the weekend here in New South Wales. I was able to do it from the comfort of my own house through um, video technology. So I think the sector is going to change financially. It's impacting greatly on most universities. Uh, numbers are down internationally. That affects um, a lot of universities financially. There's a lot of cutbacks of casual staff. Um, there is, shall we say, rationalisation of even full-time uh, tenured staff as well. So there's going to be a great deal of budget cutbacks. And those universities that rely very heavily on international students just to give them coffers, they're the ones that are really going to have problems. A lot of the rural, more non-metropolitan universities will probably survive a little bit better because they've always been there for meeting the needs of the local community with a smaller international grouping. But yeah, there will be changes. Uh, will all universities fully survive? I don't know if some will have to combine together. We've got 32, 33 universities in Australia and, and that, who do education, for instance. That's a large number of universities. Um, but it also depended what Australian young people need to do leaving um, their schools. Are they going to get apprentices and, and go to TAFE if that's invested in? Are they going to go to universities and try and get degrees? And are we going to have governments that actually recognise that education is one of the ways out of the COVID crisis? Because currently they haven't given universities job keeper or job seeker, whatever the term that you keep changing to make it look fresh and new. Um, they haven't given that to the arts industry either to any great degree. So some of the, some of the, I guess, the areas of our society that really do end up being the support network within crises are the very ones that are not being supported um, financially. So, yeah, it's going to have impact, and I think we're going to see long-term negative consequences for a while because, well, to get out of this crisis, to get a vaccine, we need research, and, and that comes from universities. Mm, that's a good point. Um, we're both in the field of, of education, mm -hmm. David, and um, I'd be interested in your views on 
And you mentioned this at the beginning of the interview um, and the implications for our education systems. And that is this movement uh, to, to challenge established scientific uh, research. Uh, uh, the COVID uh, pandemic um, has, has really brought into sharp focus the, 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 the lines between uh, established science advocates and the people who have been, uh, and political people too, have been denigrating that and going uh, more on, uh, I, 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 goodness knows what sort of evidence. Um, is, is that a threat to our education sector and ultimately our, uh, the health of, health of the society, both in Australia and globally? I, I think it's, it's been a growing problem. Um, I... I've always got questions that we need to question when research comes out to say, is it valid research? Uh, is it actually empirical? Have they done uh, random controlled trials? But then when people just say, look, the science is there, that 95% of all scientists, because no one will agree on everything, and when we talk about scientists, I talk about even education science in the sense of like reading, re- reading and phonics research. People still question it. You kind of go on what grounds. And you can have an opinion on things, but to me, um, certain factors are, if they're found to be factual and proven by multiple sources, you've got to say this is the case. So, yes, it worries me, and I think it's all part of the lack of respect for education that we have. But even within educationalists, we have people who, who make anecdotal random claims as if they are truth. Uh, there, there was recently, a, a, and I, I get involved in Twitter, there's a blogger who, who made the comment that some things don't need research because they're, because they're known truth. And I'm kind of going, no, if we don't have any research behind something we think to be fact, we need to research it just to make sure it is fact. Because things that our great-grandparents accepted as normal, we now know not to be normal. Even um, and taking the COVID, even six months ago, there were there was like people saying this virus it is not really airborne in the sense that we don't need we don't need to wear masks. It's all passed through touch. We now know that it is aerosol and it is airborne and that masks are a supporting preventive measure. Knowledge changes as we get research. Things that we thought were fact, we realise, or maybe not. The Earth is not flat. It is round. The Earth does revolve around the sun, and as Copernicus proved, not that it is the other way around. The sun doesn't revolve around us. So, yeah, I worry about the denigration of fact and knowledge. I don't think our political leaders help us. Um, we're, it's not quite as bad here in Australia as it is, say, in the UK or in uh, the US. But it is still a factor here. Uh, within Queensland, the chief medical officer, her husband, is questioning the facts that she's giving, and I'm kind of in disbelief about that. So, yeah, education's important, because education gives knowledge, gives a way of surviving, and that's why it needs to be core to what we do, and we need to have that respect back for knowledge, for research, for teachers, for schools. Mm, it's 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 a good point, and I, I completely agree with you there, David. David, time's got away from us as it always does. We've looked at the 
uh, through the, the lens of coffee and COVID globally, uh-huh. uh, systemically. Uh, finish on a personal. What are you doing personally other than drinking your eight cups of coffee and being <laughs> the designated driver for you and your family to thrive as well as survive COVID-19? Well, it's, it's hard. I find I get more tired quickly in the evenings than I ever used to. And so I find work does build up. So I think the important thing is to make sure we're spending time together as a family. And um, lockdown, we actually quite enjoy to a degree because we actually are forced more time together. I think it's, it's forced us to kind of pause and say, where are our priorities? Where, where were we going in our lives and just going through the rat race or in a, in a kind of a hamster wheel? And are we making choices that are what we want for as a family? and our long-term goal. So I guess it's those kind of things. It's spend time off devices, not losing yourself in binge Netflix watching or on Twitter, but just taking time to be together. And that's how we're surviving. And also just realising that whatever we have to do, work-wise and otherwise, will be there tomorrow. So maybe not panic as much about needing to hit all the same deadlines. Unless it's something urgent for some, unless it's going to really impact on someone else's life, and just being nice to people and realizing life is precious, life can change at a moment. Um, all of us have probably had contact with someone who has lost someone because of this, or has not been able to say goodbye to someone because of the situation. So just enjoy those mindful moments. Uh, Mm. I'm standing here watching just some birds fly onto a tree and realising life goes on so celebrate that because every day you wake up is a a positive as a victory for the next day Couldn't have put it better myself that's excellent. David as always it's a great pleasure to to chat with you on Viewpoints and um, can I swap places with you? You come and take my place here in Victoria and I'll come up to New South Wales for a few (laughs) months at the moment There's many things I could say but I must say that I, being an academic, I get to teach, but I get to read and to write, and I wouldn't give that up for anything. <laughs> it's a, a dream job for me, and your role is such a challenging role as a principal and a radio presenter and, and as, as, a, as, a, as a celebrity within the Victorian <laughs> education system. But I will leave that joy for you, uh, even though Melbourne is probably one of the nicest cities in Australia. <laughs> Oh, you're you're so kind, David. You've won me. David, that was a pleasure. You take care and we'll have coffee and hopefully it'll be coffee and something other than COVID sooner rather than later. (laughs) Coffee and cookies hopefully next time. Absolutely, absolutely. Or even a malt, a malt whiskey from up there. Very good. That was uh, Dr. David Roy, um, academic and author at the University of Newcastle, New South Wales. Always a pleasure to have David on the program. We'll take a short break. Listeners, don't go away. 